a dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can check me out over there at Speak a Dogcast. And of course, if the visual thing, well, if that's more your thing, you can find me on YouTube as well at Speak a Dogcast. And if you guys love what you're hearing, hey, do me a favor, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review. If you're on YouTube, click that thumbs up. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. It's only gonna help the podcast grow even more. And if you wanna support the show even more, you can also become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast for even more dog training content coming your way. Now, today on the show, can't we all just get along? (laughs) Yes, can't dogs just all get along? We're going to talk more about how to get dogs to coexist together better. Uh, Then we have teaching your dog to swim. It's summer. It's always important to know how to get our dogs in the pool, how to get them liking the pool, and how to do it safely. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. or just feel free to message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what is the oldest living mammal? Yes, what mammal lives the longest? What is the oldest living mammal? I'll give you the uh, answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. on Speaking Dogcast, can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? Now look, uh, this segment came from an idea from when I was out walking with a bunch of dogs. Hey, look, I, I get sometimes out there with 10 dogs and I get funny comments and, you know, it's, oh, got enough dogs. I mean, oh, geez, that's the one I, every time I go out with a pack of dogs, oh, I got enough, you could sure use another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're at your job and you hear the same comments over and over. You're like, oh, yeah, you're original. You're the first one to ever say that. Uh, But there's one comment in particular that kind of surprises me. It does. It surprises me, and it shouldn't after all these years. I've gotten it so many times. But it does. I'm, like, taken back by it each time going, wow. That's a society. That's really what we think of dogs. Okay. The comment is, wow, how do they all get along so well? And I really just want to turn to the people and go, you know, this is a dog and they're pack animals. And that's literally in their nature is to get along really well, right? I know I'm being smart, but it's true. It's so true, guys. What are dogs? They're pack animals. What do pack animals do? They survive as a pack and thrive as a pack. So wouldn't that mean that for the most part, they get along or at least they know how to create stability within the pack? Yes. So why do we have so many dogs that don't get along? Why do we have so many dogs where people cannot get their dogs to get along? The answer is pretty simple, and it's that we don't take a leadership role with our dogs. That's it. That's what it comes down to. We do not take as a whole, as a society, we do not take a leadership role with our dogs, and it creates issues, problems, behavioral issues, right? So that to me is like the biggest right there. If people just took a more active parent leadership in their dog's life, parent, you know, owner, whatever, we would have a lot less issues. I think it may be the same way with human beings. You know, when we see teenagers out at three in the morning <clears throat> wreaking havoc and doing things they shouldn't be doing in illegal activity, I raise my hand and go, where are the parents? 
like, where the hell are the parents? <laughs> I was a kid. My parents knew where I was at all times. And if they didn't, you bet your butt they did. And if I was out at 3 a.m. causing problems, they would be out there so fast dragging my butt back to the house and I would have been grounded for life. It blows my mind that there's this lack of parenting and we all think that it's just normal and acceptable and it's no different with our dogs. And it makes me crazy how people don't think they need to take an active leadership role in their dog's life. And this is why we have so many problems. Just speaking the truth here, guys. Um, you know, again, we all forget that dogs are pack animals. It is in their nature to figure out how to exist and not only exist, but thrive as a pack. So if they can figure that out, what do you think that means? And we can't. They're better at being a dog than we are. <laughs> that's what that means. But that's okay. That's okay. So look, and I'm going to try to kind of get this, you know, in a nutshell, but it just, it, I, I just, I'm just so taken back every time that people think dogs can't coexist well. Now, look, I'm going to toot my own horn here, and I am. I have had thousands and thousands and thousands of dog nights in my home, right? Where dogs are staying the night in my home, staying for days, boot camps, boarding, doggy day camps. I mean, the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours that dogs have been in my home, days that dogs have been in my home. And we have never had a serious incident. Never. I've never had two dogs latch onto each other, knock on wood. I have never had a serious incident in my home. And we've brought in aggressive dogs. Guys, statistically speaking, that's absurd in a good way. <laughs> and it really comes down to dogs are not looking for a fight. They're not looking for it. And if they are, that's a problem because that's not normal. We think dogs are like, oh, he's possessive. A fluffy is possessive over his toy. We just leave him alone when he does that. No, no. This is why your dog doesn't get along with other people because you literally have taught him not to. You're literally telling him not to get along with that other dog. And in my household, that's not the way it goes down. When a dog gets possessive, we tell them to stop. I give them information to show them this doesn't work for you very well and not being possessive works awesome for you, all right? So when we talk about dogs not getting along, it really comes down to a parenting issue. When we talk about children, not it comes down to a parenting issue. Um, so <laughs> I truly believe a lot of our problems could be solved if we looked internally at our family situations and... But that's fine. So anyway, getting back to it, it's no different than with our dogs. Look at how many people actually take an active parental type, like mom, dad, dog, parental type, not human parental type, uh, type of role in their dog's life. Majority of you don't. It's just because our dogs are cute and fluffy and we rescued them and we just want to give them fluff and love and food and blah, 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 blah. Where's the discipline, guys? Where's the structure? Where's the rules? Where's the purpose? There isn't any. Fat and happy is a fallacy, guys. Fat and happy is just not true. It's not a thing. It's not real, okay? Fat and happy is, is just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an illusion. And it's no different with our dogs. I don't want to make my, I don't want my dogs to be fat and happy. I want my dogs to be in shape, running for sticks, swimming, chasing tennis balls, being a dog. And being a dog is the opposite of fat and happy. And this is why we have behavioral problems. So, if we just took that parental role in our dog's life, things would be very different. 
Okay, so it starts with that, an active role. So what do I mean? Well, let's go back to a dog being possessive over a toy. When a dog gets possessive over a toy, the last thing I wanna do is, oh, leave them alone, because that only strengthens and reinforces that behavior. Instead, I need to safely take that toy away from the dog and teach them that that didn't work for you. When a dog gets possessive in my home, toy disappears and goes to a different dog, usually the dog they're getting possessive at. So it shows them, oh, that didn't work for me. Look, we have to ask ourselves in that moment, what is this dog trying to accomplish behaviorally? What are they? What is their end goal in growling at that other dog? And it's very simple. They want that other dog to go away and they want to keep their toy. So what's a punishment? Punishment is anything an animal works to avoid or quite simply the opposite of what they want. So therefore, just taking the toy away, that's a form of punishment because your dog works to avoid not getting the, uh, or rather works to avoid getting the toy taken away or not having the toy. So therefore, if I just punish the behavior by not letting them continue to be uh, possessive, giving the toy up so they don't have it anymore, all of a sudden that behavior didn't work for them. But instead, most people take the other approach, which is, oh, leave them alone. Now, again, guys, we're talking about something like possessiveness. If there's any aggression, I need you to be careful, be cautious. If you're unsure what to look for and the subtleties that go into fixing these kind of behaviors, please reach out to a professional and make sure you know what you're doing safely. Okay. Um, but that's very simply put right there. Same thing. If a dog is barking at me and demanding something of me, I want dinner. I want it. No, go lie down. I'll feed you when we're ready. Go lie down. Okay. Those controlling moments, that's another reason our dogs don't get along. If we have a controlling dog, the odds that that dog is going to want to control other dogs and other things and toys and food, it increases exponentially. So that's another thing. Stop letting your dog control you. And that's what possessiveness is. That's kind of one and the same issue. Don't let your dog control you or objects or things or people or other dogs. Don't let your dog displace controlling behaviors. Not healthy. If your dog is over controlling, they're gonna have a really hard time relinquishing that control in a pack of dogs and being able to feel comfortable. You know, I see that a lot. Um, dogs that like to mark on things, for example, like, like more than the average dog. Marking is a natural instinctual behavior, but I'm talking about obsessively. When it comes to the point that it's obsessive marking, that's control. So if I can get them to stop doing that, okay? But again, but I, I see that a lot where dogs that pee on things a lot tend to be more controlling, tend to not want to relinquish that control. Um, and that's a problem, okay? That's a problem. So again, getting back to it, the beginning of this starts with um, taking a leadership role, okay? The second thing is taking that leadership role, extending it and teaching our dogs that possessiveness, that being uh, any, any of those undesired behaviors that aren't getting along don't work for them very well. But that requires you taking an active role to teach and show them that. Okay. Exercise and discipline. Guys, we know that. I mean, that's like we already talked about the discipline, the structure. That's kind of what the first of it, but the exercise. I can promise you, if your dog is under exercised and under stimulated, they are a lot more likely to not get along with other dogs. The pack walk can solve so many issues. Now, again, guys, please hire a professional if you're unsure. But I use the pack walk a lot of times to solve problems when we have dogs that don't get along well. Um, again, it goes back to that instinctual fulfillment bonding experience with the dogs that that's why the pack can have such a profound impact on fixing behavioral issues. But the pack walk has to be done the right way, of course. We all know this. There's a right and a wrong way to do the walk. Make sure that you're doing it the right way because that's, only, that's the only way your walk is going to have a profound impact on fixing your dogs getting along. But that's, like, people like go, oh, I've got two dogs. Do you walk them? No. Do they have issues? Well, yeah, sometimes they... <laughs> You're not giving them that chance 
to figure their stuff out in an instinctual way. And I don't mean figure it out like let them be aggressive. I mean figure it out learning that they're a pack together. They can be a pack together. And the walk helps facilitate that, okay? Um, so look, can't we all just get along? This, here's the other side of it. And it's not to say that we can't all get along, but there is something to it that not every dog is going to be want to, are going to want to be best friends with every other dog. And that's fine, okay? Getting along doesn't mean we have to be best friends. This is a very important thing to take away from today. And I think we could carry it over into the human world as well. We don't have to be best friends to get along amicably. It's that simple. And it's that simple with dogs. Look, I get every type of dog in this home, whether it breed, size, energy level, and they're not always going to match perfectly. Not every dog is going to want to play the same way another dog does. And that's fine. Not every human's going to want to play this, hang out the same way another human does. Um, if you enjoy running 5Ks and that's like the thing you do, you're not going to want to hang out with the couch potato most likely. Can you get along amicably? Absolutely. Does it mean you're best friends? Probably not. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But that's kind of the point I want to get to. Getting along doesn't mean we need to be best friends and play. I hear that one where someone has like three dogs and one of the dogs older and they go, oh, I just want them to play. I'm like, dude, they're just, they're not on the same level. It's like, do they get along? Well, yeah. Do they sleep together? Yeah. What's the problem? They don't need to be best friends. They just need to know how to be amicable. Okay. So take that away from this too. Yes, we can all get along. No, we don't have to all be best friends. All right, guys. But just remember, it's going to start with taking the leadership position. It's going to start with taking an active parent role in your dog's life at home, making sure you're telling them you don't like things you don't like, like possessiveness and things that aren't getting along, and make sure you tell them you do like things when they do things correctly. Okay. Then comes that big pack walk, the exercise, the stimulation. Look, as a tired dog, is not going to want to be possessive over something. It's that simple. The, the more tired they are, the more they're like, eh, I'll just chew on it. But if they have all that energy built up, bent up, pent up, and they're looking for something to do and they're looking to get that energy out, they're probably gonna get it out, get it out in an unhealthy way if you have not channeled that properly. So the walk, the exercise is such a huge part of it. And then the other thing, guys, we don't all need to be best friends. We just got to get along. So don't expect every dog to be running around together like they've been best friends since day one. It's okay if they're not, as long as they can get along amicably. Dogs are capable of this. They're pack animals. It is in their nature to be able to get along as a pack. So next time you think you see dogs out there, you go, wow, I can't believe they'll get along. No, go, wow. That's awesome. That's how it should be. They can get along. All right, guys. So good luck out there. And remember, can't we all just get along? Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on 
on Speaky Dogcast, teaching your dog to swim. This is one of my favorite summertime activities. How could it not be? I live in Florida and it gets freaking hot. <laughs> so a pool is a great way to uh, let your dogs have some fun activity time to cool them off. It's awesome. So I love taking my dog swimming, but it can be a little bit of a process sometimes to teach dogs to swim. Some dogs are just not the best swimmers. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to say. Like there are just some dogs out there who are not necessarily built for swimming, whether they're a mutt and they got too many things that makes their butt sink. Uh, like my half lab, half great Dane Penny Lane was a terrible swimmer. She hated water. She hated the pool. She was fine with bath, but she, she hated the water. Um, and her butt just sank. The poor thing. She had these big lanky arms, so she did these like circle motions. She didn't have a good doggy paddle, and her backside was so heavy, and it, she just kind of went vertical. Poor girl. So <laughs> some dogs, excuse me, are just not designed for swimming. Most are, and you'd be surprised, right? Even my Chihuahua, she doesn't Chicoco back here, right? She doesn't love swimming. She doesn't love the pool, but she's very good at it. She's an awesome swimmer. Uh, we, we put her in to make sure she knows where the steps are and all that. That's the thing. There is a safety side of swimming too, but let's get into it. How do we get our dogs to swim? Look, first and foremost, um, to me, if you have a swimming pool, whether your dog loves to swim or not, I think it's vital that you teach them where the steps are. I think it's vital that you teach your dog how to get out of that pool. And that requires repetition and making sure your dog is in the pool and knowing over and over, getting them to those steps, okay? Make sure you take the time to show your dog where the steps are in your pool over and over. Not just once, not just one day, going there eight times, okay, we're good. No, I need you to rinse and repeat it a little bit. Yes, it's not necessarily the most fun experience for your dog if they don't love it. However, it's important from a safety perspective that again, they know where the steps are, and we know, God forbid, worst case scenario, they can get themselves out, okay? Um, that's a thing, you know, when, when I bring dogs into my home, that's something we take some time to, we, we wanna teach them whether they like swimming or not, knowing where the steps are. Now, I don't leave dogs unattended on the patio like that, but still, it's always good as a just in case. Um, all right, so that's the first thing. Second thing, life vest. A doggy life vest is going to be your best friend. When we put a dog in the pool the first time, uh, look, they can feel very uneasy. We have to think about it from the instinctual side. Guys, when does the ground ever just disappear out from under your dog's feet? Besides us picking them up, right? When does that happen? There's really only one time in their life that that happens, and that's when they're puppies, and mama dog picks them up by their scruff, right? That's about the only time they get lifted up and the ground just is disappearing from under their feet. So therefore, the ground not being there can be a little unnerving for a dog, and that sometimes can freak them out. And so having that buoyancy of a life vest, a life preserver, having that on them can actually make them feel a lot more secure in the water. Night and day difference, teaching a dog to swim with a life vest and without. I'm telling you, it speeds up the process. It makes them feel more comfortable. It's safer too, right? Like, come on. Um, actually, there was a story the other day, I think that was in Florida, where a... Um, Maybe not. Anyway, it doesn't matter where it was. The point is, the guy's on a boat with his dog. His dog ends up accidentally falling off the boat. Guy didn't hear it. You know, look, you're out on the water. Sometimes you just, you don't notice. You don't hear. The dog fell off the boat. He didn't notice till a minute or two later. He turned around, tried finding the dog, could not find his dog anywhere. However, good ending to the story. Happy ending here. He had a life vest on the dog. And someone ended up picking the dog up, found the dog and brought him in. And the dog was so tired, so exhausted that the authorities said if that dog had not had the life vest on, he probably would have drowned. 
Crazy, right? Like crazy, but even our dogs. So guys, if you're out there boating on the lake, the river for the weekend, especially going out into the ocean, please put a life vest on your dog. It literally can be a matter of life and death. How about the other side of it? Your dog's out <clears throat> in the river boating and it makes them visible. Look, like Riker, for example, he's a, he's black. He's a black dog. He's mostly black, especially from the top of the water. People are not going to see him in the water. So it's important even from a visual side. Riker's a hell of a swimmer. He's a strong swimmer. But if I'm out in public somewhere, you bet that life vest is going on him for so many reasons. So guys, please, please, please put life vests on your dog. It's a matter of life and death. No joke. All right. So life vest is going to be your best friend. Now, if you can find another, at least one other dog who's already totally cool with swimming, that is one of the best ways. Let other dogs show your dog, hey, the water's a lot of fun, come on in. You know, that's a great way to teach your dogs um, that swimming is not necessarily bad. I don't like to push swimming too fast, and that's why I like to bring other dogs around. Let your dog observe the other dogs having a good time swimming, seeing everything's great, because lots of time, a lot of times those dogs will end up just being curious and wanting to follow them in, and boom, there we go. Um, that's the ideal way to get your dog in the pool is just kind of let it happen with other dogs, uh, that already know what to do and let them teach them. All right. But if your dog is a little more cautious or maybe you don't have another pack to, to do this with, um, look, I, I like to leash him up. It all goes back to leashing him up, get the life vest on, and I'm going to bring some treats and we're just going to slowly guide them toward the pool, giving them treats, making this a good, happy experience. Look, sometimes the first five, six times that we go near the pool, I'm not going in with them. I just wanna get them comfortable near it. Maybe get our feet in on the first step, something like that, and then let them out, good boy, give them treats. Come in the pool, good boy, let them out, give them treats. We wanna make the whole thing a good experience, getting in the pool, getting out of the pool, it all is good stuff. I like to spend a lot of time hanging out on that first step too. Once we do get them in the pool, it's important that we just hang out on the step, let them feel comfortable just standing there in the water because even that's a funky sensation for them. You know, they're looking down going like, what is this on my feet? It's water, all right? So get them comfortable with the step. Look, really, swimming is all about taking baby steps. You don't wanna to go too much too fast because you can inadvertently freak your dog out. And so that's why it's important that we do this slowly. Some dogs take to it and it's not a problem. Some dogs more cautious. So like I said, if we just go slow, we don't have anything to worry about then, all right? Now at some point, let's say we go, David, I've been, I've been doing it for a month. My dog doesn't wanna get off the stairs. He'll go on the, on the steps, but I cannot get him in the pool. I cannot get, he just won't do it. Guys, at some point, we just kind of have to sink or swim. Uh, what I mean by that is I'm gonna take them by the collar. If, you know, if they're really being trepidatious, I'm just gonna guide them into the pool a little bit, just pull. And then once they start swimming, good boy, good girl, make it happy, make it awesome. And then let them do one little circle right back to the step. That's usually what I do. First time we go in the pool, it's a quick circle and we're done because we don't wanna freak them out. We want them to be calm and go, oh, I can get out right away. We don't wanna go for a huge swim and make them feel panicked that they can't get back to the side, right? So one little circle, back to the step. I'm gonna rinse and repeat that 10, 20 times. One little circle, back to the step, good boy. One little circle, back to the step, good boy, okay? Then before you know it, we can start guiding them further and further out and actually going swimming with them. Use a tennis ball, that's another great one. Use a tennis ball, once they start wanting to go into the water more, Throw the ball in, get them to fetch it. Create fun ways to associate the water as a good thing, okay? Um, but I think the biggest mistake people make with swimming, two, two biggest mistakes people make with swimming is one, they don't use a life vest, and I'm telling you, it's everything. It's gonna make your dog feel uh, buoyant and make them feel like they're floating. It's gonna give them a lot more confidence faster uh, to get them in that water safely, okay? 
Um, and then the second thing is I think people push swimming too fast. We just kind of throw our dogs in the pool and get them in and it freaks them the hell out. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. It's not gonna help. Take your time. I can't stress enough. Guys, it's the beginning of July-ish. Uh, we have got plenty of summer left. Take your time getting your dog in the pool. And of course, guys, please do not leave your dogs unattended in the pool. Not a good idea, not safe. Uh, make sure you're always watching your dogs when they're playing in the pool and playing in water. Now, another thing to take into consideration, gulping of water. I hear this sometimes when my dog loves to drink the pool. Look, there's nothing wrong with a little pool water, but there are cases where dogs get very excited and they're panting very hard and they start inhaling the water and it actually gets into their lungs and it can kill them. It's no different. I've read articles about children, same thing. Um, be very cautious and be very careful. It's one thing if they're drinking it, right? They're drinking it and they're, they're closing the esophagus, going down the, <clears throat> going down the right tube and all that. But it is something you need to be careful of and cautious of when it comes to swimming with your dog. Make sure they're not inhaling the water. And if you feel like they're having a hard time, guys, get them out of the water. Don't don't keep pushing it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, swimming is one of those things where I love it. I think it's one of the greatest ways in the summer to exercise and stimulate our dogs. If it's two o'clock in the afternoon and I can't walk my dogs, we can at least go in the pool. Now, as long as it's not raining, because it's Florida and it pretty much rains after two or three o'clock every single afternoon here. Ah, welcome to the subtropics. All right, so again, guys, I love swimming with our dogs. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a great way, but you gotta do it safely. You gotta be smart and you have to take your time trying to acclimate your dog to something new, something that's different, something where they don't feel the ground under their feet anymore. It's a foreign concept in a way, all right? But take your time out there. Use those doggy life vests. Make sure you use treats. Make it a happy experience, a ball. And of course, safety first, not only with the life vest, Make sure your dog knows where your steps are in your pool. Take the time this summer to teach them over the course of days, maybe even do it over and over. Make sure your dog knows where those steps are. Really, really important, guys. And of course, if we're enjoying uh, everything out in public with our dogs, we're boating, if we're doing life vest, life vest, life vest. As I said with that story in that article, it literally saved that gentleman's dog's life. So please be cautious, please be smart, and of course, have fun out there this summer swimming with your dog. <laughs> Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Now today, we're going to be talking about the University of Michigan. Now, the University of Michigan was founded in 1817, and University of Michigan is the oldest and largest university in the state of Michigan. It was actually established 20 years before the territory even became a state. Now, University of Michigan has a long association with their mascot, the Wolverine, yes. Even as early as 1861, students and alumni were calling themselves the Wolverines. Now, there is no definitive theory on how the name came about, but there's a few that we're going to go over. Now, first, uh, the Wolverine does not normally live in Michigan. No, their range tends to stay more north, finding their way into Alaska and Canada, with more rare sightings in Colorado and California. They can kind of come down to Michigan maybe occasionally, but it was not until 2004 that the first uh, confirmed sighting of a wolverine in the state was made. Before that, the last known sighting was in the 19th century. So how did Michigan get the wolverine name as their mascot? One theory was given by Michigan football coach Fielding H. Yost, where he wrote about it in the Michigan Quarterly in 1944. Now, for years, Wolverine pelts were traded in Salt St. Marie. For years, this trading station was actually a way for the Native Americans and trappers to meet and then end up selling the products to be shipped to the eastern United States. 
Now, traders actually may have referred to the, these pelts actually as Michigan Wolverines, even though the Wolverines wasn't, weren't from Michigan, this is where the pelts were coming from and they came to be known. Another theory was given in 1952 in an article in the Michigan, uh, Michigan Quarterly again, but this time by Albert H. Marquardt. I think I said that last name. It's a weird last name. Marquardt? Sure. Uh, he stated that the original French settlers in the 1700s were known, of course, for their large appetites and gluttonous ways, and therefore were Wolverine-like. Now, the last theory relates to a border dispute between Michigan and Ohio, and, and this happened in 1803. You can even see, guys, this is where Ohio State, Michigan, the rivalry began well before the schools. <laughs> Started right here, I think. Now, the two sides were actually arguing over whether a, uh, where the state line should be placed between Michigan and the uh, Michigan side. They ended up be calling, uh, becoming called Wolverines. Yes, they were calling the Michigan Michiganers. Yes, Michiganers. Boy, that's hard to say. Wolverines. Now, it's not known if the name was actually given by the Ohio residents, sort of as a slight to the gluttonous ways of the Wolverine, or if the Michigan natives themselves actually gave them the nickname to represent their strength and tenacity. Uh, either way, the nickname stuck. Now, Coach Yost, he was actually the very first one to try to find a live Wolverine to bring to the games. In 1923, he could actually, he could only find a stuffed Wolverine. So they brought a stuffed Wolverine to the stadium, and this stuffed Wolverine earned the nickname Biff. <laughs> Couldn't find out where Biff came from, but the name Biff was there and it stuck. Now, in 1927, uh, the coach was actually able to obtain 10 live Wolverines. Yes, now they used one uh, Wolverine in the stadium for only one single season because, well, it was discovered the animal's reputation preceded them as they were too fierce and too feisty to be paraded around in front of spectators. Now, it's not, uh, not known how long those animals were kept on campus for, but it is known that no live wolverine has been in the stadium for at least a half of a century. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the oldest living mammal? It's the bowhead whale. Yes, they live to be at least 211 years old. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Trisha from Long Island, New York. Trisha says, my dog likes to eat rocks. It's becoming a problem and I can't leave her unattended outside anymore. Seems to be getting worse to the point that she even looks for rocks while we're out on a walk and I have to constantly watch her, make sure we're not anywhere near rocks. Any help would be awesome. Trisha, a uh, good question. Look, first of all, when we have an obsessive behavior like this, normally it tells me we have an understimulated dog. Uh, perhaps we need to work on focus on the walks a little more and getting that more under control. So you may wanna go check out some of my segments on the walk, focus, uh, teaching your dog to focus. Those are gonna be really good to start with. Being that I've got this obsessive thing, look, I'll be honest, there may be something else going on here, um, either medically or behaviorally. And so there might be some subtleties in her, in your dog's behavior that you're just not seeing that are leading up to this. Uh, but also teaching a leave it command is gonna go a long way. Teaching your dog a leave it command and telling her to leave the rocks, refocusing her, uh, re, re uh, taking her focus and putting it on you as opposed to the rocks and telling her to leave it. Um, look, when I have something like this, normally there is a little more subtleties and this is, you know, you kind of gave me just the basic gist of it. So I'll be honest, we gotta dive into this just a little bit more to give you the full answer. Yes, more exercise 
exercise, more stimulation, and teaching to leave it are going to get you somewhere. But I think in order to really make the progress on this, uh, you're going to need the help from a professional. So either reach out to myself and give me a little more info or find somebody in your area. But hey, we can talk more and figure that out because, um, like I said, eating rocks is an obsessive behavior. And usually that means there's maybe a little more to it that's going on. So we'll see if we can't get some more info and figure out what's going on with you. Next question. This comes from Tim from Ocala, Florida. Tim says, how do you deal with the heat and your dogs? You're even further south than I am, and my dogs and I just seem miserable. How do you give them enough exercise and stimulation when it's too hot? Tim, good question, uh, because man, doesn't Florida stink in the summer? Yeah, look, the first and foremost... I get up really early to walk my dogs. You know, I, I you have to. You've got to wake up early. You've got to be up well before the sun. Look, my rule of thumb down here is 9 a.m. That's the latest I can walk them. 9 a.m. on an overcast day, maybe 9.30. Uh, 9 a.m. is about it. If that means I'm waking up at 4.30, it means I'm waking up at 4.30. It stinks. It's not what you want to do. It's not ideal. It's not what you want to hear, but it is what it is. Okay. The other side of it is, of course, swimming. Just like we talked about in the uh, segment today, that is one great way I get my dogs exercise during the summer. Treadmill, doggy treadmill. Doggy treadmills are a wonderful way for us Floridians to get our dogs well, uh, keep them walked without having to go outside in the middle of the day. So there's definitely a few options, but Tim, look, it's hot. What are you going to do? You know, (laughs) there's only so much we can do, but really it comes down to waking up early and making sure you're getting your dog out there before it gets too hot. Doggy treadmills are a great idea. Doggy uh, uh, swimming is awesome, is an awesome supplement. And maybe find a great doggy day camp facility that's indoors in your area uh, because that can help as well. Even just once a week might really help your dog give them some extra stimulation, dogs rather, uh, give them some extra stimulation and keep them happy. But look, at the end of the day, There's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do in Florida. So just be sure you're watching your dogs, keeping them safe, making sure they have the proper amount of water and ah, do what you can to stay cool, Tim. I wish I had a better answer, but there really isn't much of a better answer other than waking up earlier, swimming your dogs and wait until the sun goes down. (laughs) Good luck to you, Tim. Stay cool out there. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. If you haven't followed me on Instagram yet, do that as well. Speak of Dogcast. You can also find my YouTube channel at Speak of Dogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speak of Dogcast. I'd love to thank my patrons, pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.